I had an interesting conversation this week that just really kind of broke my heart, and I've been praying about it and thinking about it. I have permission to share, you know, the story, but um, of a family that grew up in church, and they loved, the, the parents did, they loved the Lord as children, they loved the Lord as teenagers, and then in college, they drifted away from their faith, and now they're at this point in life where they'd really like to come back to church, but they feel guilty because of maybe some things or decisions that they've made, and their children have never experienced, for instance, a children's church or a, or a children's ministry. And in talking with them, I could see the pain and the grief, and to me, that's what one of the most powerful passages of Scripture is all about is how Jesus welcomes, or Jesus tells the story of a prodigal son's father welcoming him home. And it's also my joy to be able to share that Woodland doesn't have this attitude of an elder brother, that Woodland welcomes everybody. As a matter of fact, whether Woodland did or not, or whether any church did or not, God always welcomes you back to himself. So I just want to say welcome home to God this morning. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that? Welcome home to God. Welcome home. He loves you. That's why he sent his son to die for you. Mark Twain said the two most important days or the two happiest days of your life were the day you were born and the day that you discover why you were born. I remember a number of years ago, I was a part of a meeting that I was invited to, and uh, I'd never heard of a man by the name of Rick Warren. And I got to participate in a small group of, of meetings with some university professors, some other elite Christian leaders, and to hear about his thoughts and to hear from him about what he was thinking about discipleship. Then I got to be a part of, of the launching of a brand new ministry that we called We Build People, which was talking about discipleship. And I remember when I first read the book, and we years ago here at Woodland, we, we encouraged everybody to read that book. And I, I just like to see for a show of hands, how many of you have read the book or you've heard about the book, The Purpose Driven Life by Pastor Rick Warren? Can I see your hand? Almost everyone in this room. And see, the reason that's so phenomenal is because that is a totally Christian book about discipleship and about why God shaped and created your life. And it's become a best-selling book. As a matter of fact, there is a movie that um, I encourage you to, to rent. You can get it, I believe, from uh, Netflix or Redbox. It's called Captive, and it's the story of Ashley Smith. And if you remember a few years ago, Ashley Smith was the, the uh, girl that was taken captive by a man who shot and killed several people in Atlanta, Georgia during a trial. She was a brand new Christian. She had just committed her life to Christ. She was a cocaine addict, if I remember correctly. And Ashley, when she was taken captive, she thought about the book she was reading, and she asked her captor, could she read the book to him? And he allowed her to read the book. He closed the blinds to keep the police from being able to identify them. And to make a long story short, I don't want to give all the movie away, but it's a true story of how he eventually gave himself up and how Ashley's, how this, this book, The Purpose Driven Life, but Ashley had discovered that God had a purpose for her life. 
And Ashley was far away from Christ. Ashley was far away from having been a Christian until someone gave her this book and began to tell her about Jesus. And so I don't know everyone here this morning. I don't know everyone who listens uh, to the podcast or listens online. But I want to say to you this morning, no matter where you're at, you have a God in heaven who loves you, who wants to adopt you into his family, and wants to say, welcome home to me. And Mark Twain was right. You will never be completely happy until you know the purpose for which you are created for. So can we give him one more hand of praise for that? God has a purpose for our lives. And only God, and only God, by the way, can tell you what that purpose is. Now, if you know me, I don't read owner's manuals of any kind. But there is one that I read, and that's whenever I buy a car. I go through them from cover to cover. You see, I don't read computer manuals because I can call my sons. I don't read chainsaw manuals because I know how to use a chainsaw. And matter of fact, I don't use one very much anymore, but I, nothing I loved more used to than going and cutting wood and just stacking it up in my pickup and bringing it home and when we moved up here 20 years ago, I gave away truckload after truckload of firewood because if you had a tree, I'd cut it up for you, you know, just to get the firewood. But I read a car manual because I really don't understand cars, and I'm a little bit nervous about messing them up or tearing them up. But God created, and as a teenager, I, and I used to share this with my high school friends at Southwest High School in Macon, Georgia. I used to share this with my friends. God has an owner's manual for our lives, and it's called the Bible. And so I'd like you to stand with me this morning. I want to take you to several passages in the Word of the Lord. And when God welcomes you home, let's just look at what this is all about. Two passages, first from the book of Romans and then from the book of Ephesians. God's spirit beckons. In other words, he's saying, come on, get ready, come on with me. There are things to do and places to go. This resurrection life you've received from God is not a timid, grave-tending life. In other words, you're not just here to exist. You can live with confidence. You can live with boldness. It's an adventurously expectant greeting God with a childlike, what's next, Papa? Say that with me. What's next, Papa? Now close your eyes and make that a prayer right now. Just say it to the Lord. What's next, Papa? You can say that out loud to him. He's listening. What's next, Papa? God's Spirit touches our hearts or our spirits and confirms who we really are. We know who he is, and we know who we are, father and children. And we know we're going to get, thing, get what's coming to us, an unbelievable inheritance. Well, how do you learn about that? Because God created you. He shaped you. Look at the book of Ephesians chapter 1. It is in Christ that we find out who we are, what we're living for. He had his eye on us and had designs on us for glorious living. Part of the overall purpose, he was working out in everything and everyone. Did you know the Bible says you're going to last forever? You're going to live forever. Well, one day my heart's going to stop. One day your heart's going to stop, and our bodies will be buried, but you're going to last forever. A number of years ago, when I was so sick with that E. coli infection, 
I shared with our board in my hospital room. I shared with our pastors and my family. I'm not afraid to die. Death has lost its sting. The grave has lost its victory. If I close my eyes today, I will open them in the next moment in the presence of Jesus Christ. You're going to last forever. The important thing is, are you going to be with Jesus Christ forever? Amen? So, Father, we come to you in the name of your Son, our Lord and Savior. And we ask you to touch our hearts and touch our spirits, that we would live with an adventurous spirit, Lord, looking forward to each and every day with that prayer in our life, what's next, Papa? And I ask you that when we leave this place this morning, like Scott and Ruth, Lord, we will leave with purpose and passion in our lives. For it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated and follow along with me if you'd like. You see, the simple fact of the matter is this. You're not ready for heaven until, first of all, you know who Jesus is and you give your life and your heart to Jesus. Occasionally when I'm sharing with people, they'll tell me how good they are. They'll tell me why they're ready for heaven. They're a good person. And whenever they share that with me, I understand then they really don't understand what sin is. Because if we understood sin, we would never, ever, ever say, this is good or I'm good. If we understood sin, then we could understand why the cross is so important to those of us who are of faith. I mean, when I got my first iPhone, I can remember one of the men of the church coming to see me with the first iPhone that ever came out. And he held it on the side of my hospital bed. This is that time I was just telling you about when I was sick. And he was pounding. He says, look, you can't break it. I found out later, you can break an iPhone. And he was telling me what a great iPhone it was. And I remember when I got my first iPhone, it was great. It was good. Until about three generations later, it was worthless, and I needed a new iPhone. I remember thinking I was good until I was ministering in the leprosoriums that Mother Teresa had built in Calcutta. And I remember I had thought, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. God has been working in me. God has been changing my life. And I remember I had actually been journaling about some of the good things, to God be the glory, I would write, that I had done. It was like I was patting myself on the back. And then as I worked in that leprosorium and I was washing people and praying with people and working there and learning more about the work of Mother Teresa, I saw a goodness that so far surpassed my goodness. And since that day, I have never been able to write again about my goodness. Friends, for you understand goodness, there's only one way to understand it, and it's through Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior, this morning. For what was pure good and pure love, God gave himself at Calvary. Because if you could see into my heart this morning, if you could see deep into my heart, you would never listen to me preach again. But before you look all pious and proud, if I could see deep into your heart this morning, I would never have a cup of coffee with you either. That's why I am so grateful for the blood of Jesus Christ. It washes away all of our sins. Can we give him another hand of praise for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The cross excites me. The cross and the blood of Jesus it gives me a reason for living this morning that our lives are not in vain. Well, here are five things that I think you should know. Number one, when God says, welcome home, God delights in you. God loves you. God takes great pleasure in you. God created you just because he loves you. 
As I was talking to that family earlier this week, I reminded them, I said, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter how far maybe you have gone into sin. God loves you. God cares for you. God delights over you. I have four wonderful children. I'm very proud of them. I can't help but talk about them, but I'll tell you this. There were times when my children acted just like the devil. They're good kids, but they acted just like the devil. And I would go sit in their room. Becky and I would go sit in their room at night and pray for them, and they would be asleep. And I would say to her, when they're asleep, they look like angels. And I'm sure that your kids were never like that. Matter of fact, I'm sure you were never like that. You never acted like the devil. But there have been times in my life when I acted like the devil. But God delights in us whether or not we've been good or whether we've been bad. God delights in us all the time. As children, we would take our kids to see the Santa Claus at the Macon Mall. And the question Santa Claus would always ask them is, have you been good? And you know, one of my kids in particular, he always struggled with that question because he's very precise, he's very factual, and I could see his eyes tear up sometime because he would want to confess to Santa Claus like he was Jesus, some of the bad things he had done. Sometimes I was surprised to hear about some of the things that he had done. There is only one good, Jesus said. A man came to Jesus, and he says, good master, and Jesus says, why do you call me good? There's only one good. That's God. If you want to understand goodness, you don't look to people. You look to God who sent his son because he loves you. The Bible says in Psalms 149 and verse 4, for the Lord delights in his people. Circle that word in your outline this morning. And if you're using the app, I don't know how to tell you to circle there, but just highlight that word. The Lord delights in you the same way you delight in your children. He takes pleasure in you all the time. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, long before he laid down earth's foundations, God had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Friends, we've looked at this time and time again before. God is love. That's how he describes himself. Now, love is not God, but God is love. That's the essence of his being. God is love. And God focuses upon you. Do you remember as a student the first time you used a microscope and you focused and the cells would suddenly pop up? Do you remember the first time you used a telescope as a student and you focused on the moon and you saw the first craters and you went, oh, and you just kind of drew a deep breath? Or maybe you have a long-range lens and you focused with the camera upon that, 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 that person or that fly or that bird or whatever. And as you focused there, you brought it in close. You're the focus of God's love. God does not hold our sins against us. The book of Psalms says, if God held our sins against us, you and I could never make it in this life. But you are the focus of his love. And here's the good news. You have the capacity. You have the ability. You have been created in the image of God to where you can love God back. I don't know if you've ever met those people who for whatever the reason, they just seem unable to give love back to God. Or maybe they just seem unable to give love back to other people. Most of the time, it's because they don't love themselves. And drawing them out of that is a long and arduous process when there's self-hate and when there's, there's self-condemnation. 
And please hear me this morning. I'm not preaching some self-help. I'm just telling you the difference between how the world will tell you to love yourself. Remember the owner's manual that I talked about a moment ago? I listened to someone on the television recently talking about if we could just all get quiet, if we could all just look deep inside of ourselves, we could find the meaning of our lives, we could find the purpose of our lives. You will never find the purpose of your life by looking inside yourself because when you look in yourself, you see what I see. You see your sins, you see your failures, and you see your shortcomings, but you look at the owner's manual, if you look at God's word, and you understand that you are the object of his love and that Jesus died despite my sins and your sins to save us from our sins because God is good and God is love and God is great. He is able to save us and cleanse us and make us worthy of eternal love. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? (laughs) Hallelujah. How can you not but love a God like that? The children that I feel sorry for most in this world or the children that I see and talk to the teenagers that I taught with sometimes at the high schools, and they're insecure in their lives because there's an absent father or an absent mom, because there's a drug addict father or a drug addicted mom. There's this insecurity because maybe they have a workaholic dad or a workaholic mom, and there's no sense of having been loved and really cared for, and there's a lack of confidence, and so those kids worry. They worry about their futures. They worry about their next meals. Sometimes they worry about the reason for their being. It's the reason that rich kids and poor kids alike take their lives today. How do you know when you're not close to God? The same way that you know when you're not close to your parents. There's this anxiety and there's this worry that comes in because there are certain things that children should never have to worry about because mom and there are to protect and to provide and to pray for and to be there for in the good times and the bad, whether you're good or whether you're bad, whether you're awake or whether you're asleep. And you have a heavenly father that never slumbers and never sleeps and never stops watching over you because you are the focus of the love of Jesus Christ this morning. And when you understand that, the cross becomes so much more meaningful. The second thing that I want you to know this morning from the Word is God wants you to be a member. God wants you to be a part of his family. And I struggle with how to write this. God wants you, and this would just have taken up too much room, God wants you to be a fully participating member of the family of God. Why don't you write that out in your outline or on your phone if you're using that this morning. God wants you to be a fully participating member of his family. God never meant for you or for me to go through life alone. God never meant for Becky and I to go through life alone. God meant for us to be a part of a family. I come from a large family. If you join my family at Christmas, those rare times when we get to go home for Thanksgiving, We're a noisy and a raucous family. My grandfather had 21 children. And I'm going to tell you, we're close. There's back slapping. As a matter of fact, I was a grown man before I realized that everybody didn't like to have their back slaps. I was a grown man before I realized that everybody didn't like to have their arm punched. That was just the way it was. It was a loud, happy family. And my wife, the first time she attended one of our Christmas functions, we were, I was driving her back home, and she says, wow, 
your family's really noisy. <laughs> I go, yours is not? She goes, no. She says, but your family is fun. I knew better than ask the other question I wanted to ask. I remember Becky's father, before he passed away, he told me, he said, you know, son, my home was all completely in order. My home was quiet. My home was peaceful. And then you came along. <laughs> I'm so glad he loved me. But you see, my father-in-law grew up in an orphanage, and he grew up without really close family members, and the sterileness of an orphanage can be there. He had been rejected when he was adopted out, and he showed up at the home, and they said, you're not what we want, and they sent him back. There was something in him that was missing the family brought to him in those last days before he died, and he asked me to come and talk with him, and I recorded a long conversation with his permission, and we talked about those childhood days, those teenage days, and what all had happened, and he told me the difference that Jesus had made and how somebody had shared with him at an Air Force base where he was serving as an airman in Texas, how somebody had shared with him the good news of Jesus Christ. And for the first time, he discovered he had a family in Christ and a church that welcomed him in and loved him in, and how when he married Francis and how Becky's grandparents welcomed him in and loved him in. I want to share with you this morning, you have a family in Christ this morning, and it's called the church, the foundation, and the pillar of truth. Can we give him a hand of praise for that as well? <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and read this last part with me, and it gave him great pleasure. Read that again. It gave him great pleasure. God wanted you in his family. That's why you're here. God drew you. You're not here by an accident today. You're here in the plan and the will of God. God drew you here. You say, oh, no, my neighbor invited me. My friend invited me. Or I saw the sign. God drew you here. I don't understand the ways of God and how God does things, but some way, shape, or form, God drew you here. The family that I was talking to this week, the couple I just said, God brought us together. You need to know God wants you. He loves you. It gives God pleasure. And when I think about that, and I look back at the cross, oh, I'm grateful for healing. I'm grateful for miracles. I'm grateful for everything God has ever blessed me with. But there's nothing comparable to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's nothing comparable to the shed blood of Jesus. There's nothing comparable to his resurrection confirming what he has done for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3, God in his boundless mercy has given us the privilege of being born again so that we are now members of God's own family. And can I tell you something? When I buried my dad a few years ago, that was an odd feeling in many ways, not just because of the emotional ones, but out of those 21 children that my grandfather had, my father was the last one to die. And to realize that all 21 of them, and most of them had gone on to heaven to be with Jesus Christ, 
Friends, I want to tell you something that unlike your earthly family, your spiritual family is going to last forever. This is a family that is not going away. We will be in heaven together. We will be celebrating together. We will be worshiping together because we have been adopted into the family of God this morning. Oh, I love my family. Don't get me wrong. I am passionate about my four children and my three grandsons and all that's going to come in the future. You say, how do you know more are coming? Because I pray, and I, trust me, God answers my prayers. Right now, I'm praying for a granddaughter. But this family, this Clanton line, will one day, the blast will be buried but this family, the church of Jesus Christ, will last forever. So let me ask you a question. Did you always get along with everybody in your family? Let me ask you another question. Now, in just a few weeks, it'll be Thanksgiving. How many of you have got a weird family member that always comes to Thanksgiving dinner? I didn't mean raise your hands. <laughs> Some of you might be that weird family member. <laughs> you know that person that is kind of awkward or you know the right words or the right topics to avoid around that person? You see, in a family, we learn how to love even the weird people. We learn how to love even the obnoxious people. You say, how do you know that, Pastor? Because we say things like, well, that's my brother or that's my sister. And we'll defend them because we'll... Do you know how God teaches us to love? He puts us around unlovely people. He puts us around weird people. That's how he teaches us to love. And that's the reason in a church that sometimes there are people you may not like in a church. I can love you without liking you. You see, there are times when I haven't been very likable, but I've always been loved. There are times when my children were not very likable, but they were always loved. You know, the way we learn to love people is not being around the easy people to love, but God puts us in those situations where we learn to love people. Every once in a while, and listen to me because you may be that person, some chicken will say to me, some coward will say to me, I've had it with the church. I can be closer to God in nature than I can in church. Well, of course you can be close to God in nature. It's because you don't have to live with people when you're by yourself in nature. But when you're with people, sometimes they're going to be unlovely. But it doesn't change the fact that we're still the family of God and we're still loved. Can you say amen to that? And that's what being family is all about. The third thing I want you to know this morning, though, is... For those of you like me who may be the unlovable or you may be the unlikable, there's things here in your life. God doesn't leave you where you're at. As one comedian says, if you're the armpit, you don't have to keep stinking up the place. Put on some deodorants. You know, because God wants to mature you. God wants to grow you. Benjamin this week said, or brought out a funny video we needed to watch and as a family, and so we watched this Christian comedian, and he was talking about some of the messes that people make in their lives, some of the messes that Christians make in their lives. 
And the whole comedic routine he did it was great. And his name was John Christ, I believe, if you want to look him up. I would recommend the video. It was fun to watch. He was funny to watch. But then he made one statement that I laughed at, and then I thought later when I was out for a run, I thought, oh, that's just not true. He says, some of you have made such a mess. He says, that contrary to that popular country music song, Jesus is saying, ain't no way I'm taking that wheel. And as I was out, I said for a run, I was for a walk. I said to the Lord, I says, I am so glad you have taken the wheel of every mess I've ever made. There is nothing in your life that will separate you from God. But God doesn't leave you where you're at. God is far more interested in who you are than what you do in life. When our children were young, we taught them the difference. We would do family devotions week after week upon this. The difference between what you want to grow up and do and who you want to grow up and be. Because I didn't want my children identifying themselves with their vocations or their careers. I wanted them to become children of God. We often talked about the importance of being, the importance of character. Because the only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is your character. The only thing you're going to take to heaven with you is the work of grace in your life. You see, there are things that sometimes we do that are immature. They may be cute, but they're immature. My grandson, Andrew and Dana, were moving this week to North Carolina, and my youngest, my middle grandson, Davin, started crying, and Andrew called me as they were packing the truck and getting out of their house, and he says, Dad, you got to talk to Davin. I said, what's wrong? He, I could hear him crying. He says, Davin's saying that you're not going to be able to find him if we move, and so I got on the phone. He said, Papa, will you be able to find me? And I said, buddy, Papa will find you no matter where you go in the world. I've already looked at your house on Google Maps. It's a beautiful house, and you've got a big yard, and I'm so excited for you. Papa, you're going to come see me, and I'm just delighting in this, in this little moment. But he has this little speech impediment they're trying to help him overcome. I remember when our second son, Christopher, you know Chris, when Christopher was little, he had a speech impediment, a bad one. And one night, we had, a, we had a group of pastors over to our house. And out of all those pastors, I mean, we had a full house, a full yard. Out of all those pastors, there was one single pastor. Becky had the kids serving everybody sandwiches and drinks on outside. And, and all these ladies had gathered upon the deck with Becky. And there was one pastor on that deck. And it just happened to be the single pastor. Well, Christopher comes out with a platter of iced tea and lemon wedges. And, of course, he has a speech impediment at that time that he's getting therapy for, and he can't say his L's properly. They come out as W's. So as he's serving these ladies, they take iced tea and they take a lemon wedge. He gets to the only man on the deck, and he hauls the platter out. Pastor Dave takes a glass of tea and doesn't take a lemon. And so Christopher looks at him and says, Pastor Dave, do you like women? And Dave is flabbergasted. He's sitting there like, what do I do? And his face is turning, according to Becky, his face is turning to red. And she goes, Dave, he meant lemon. He can't say L's. He meant lemon. He goes, oh, Christopher, I love lemons. I really love lemons. Teach him to go sit with the women when he can have been out there in the back with us. 
I mean, it was cute, but we knew that Christopher had to come out of that. He had to mature, and so he worked with a therapist. Look at this passage of Scripture, Romans 8, 29. God decided from the outset, outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same life of his son. You see, what the Holy Spirit is doing in us today is he's shaping us to be like Jesus. He's shaping us to become more like Christ. I can't make myself become like Jesus. I have to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit within me. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 3.18 that the Lord's Spirit makes us more and more like our glorious Lord. And so that's my reply to people who say, well, I can't be a Christian. I don't know anybody that can be a Christian on their own. You see, the being part comes when you give your life to Jesus Christ and God saves you and forgives you. And the Bible describes it as being born again. God's life enters into your life and you become a brand new person in Christ. And the Holy Spirit then begins that process of shaping and fashioning your life to be you become more like Jesus. You say, well, what is Jesus like? Well, I would take you back to the book of Galatians, where the Bible describes to us what the fruit of the Spirit is like. If you want to know what holiness is like, if you want to know what Jesus is like, he is love, he is joy, he is peace, he is patience, he is kindness, he is self-control, he is long-suffering. So how does God teach me how to love? He puts me around unlovely people. How does God teach me patience? He puts me in a family. <laughs> he puts me in a marriage. He puts me in a job. How does God teach me long-suffering? He gives me a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter. Or he gives me a child struggling. You see, all of these things, where you're at, God's invisible hand is at work. Now, I want you to hear me this morning, especially if you haven't crossed the line yet and given your life to Jesus. God's invisible hand is at work in your life this morning. There are all kinds of things happening around you where God is not only showing you his love, but where God is protecting you, watching out for you. And the reason you're here today, or the reason you live today, is because of the mercy and the grace of God. And what I hope to encourage you with is that maturity is a lifelong process. I will never grow up until finally I'm with Christ in heaven. And the Bible says, then we shall be like him. So please don't give up on me. I won't give up on you. Because when we get to heaven, then we shall be like him. It's the reason Jesus told the story of some people who commit their lives to Christ, and when they commit their lives to Christ because of the shallowness of this world, because of the shallowness of their faith, the emotions wear off, the excitement wears off, and then they go, well, this is not fun anymore. Or maybe the cares of this world begin to choke out the gospel, and they go, well, this is too difficult. Life is never easy, my friends, but life is not easy whether you're a lost person or whether you've been born again, but there is a God who will pull you through anything if you put your faith and trust in him. Can we give him another hand of praise and thanksgiving for that today? <laughs> and then 
I think there's two more elements of good news that I'd like to share with you, and that is God created you, God created me to serve him. God created us to serve him. Last year, I just really, really enjoyed I 30-something missionaries I took to the Ford Rouge plant, the truck plant there. I had been out there several times before and been given several tours of the plant and been on the green roof. And when I had an opportunity to do something for the missionaries, I thought this would be a great opportunity just to take them. And I know we got Chrysler people and GM people here, so don't write me any nasty emails for calling out Ford today. But they were extremely kind. I mean, they were gracious to those missionaries. They showed us a great day and just showed us around. But the people that were working with us, there was a difference in their faces and the people that were on the line that day. And I noticed at several places where I just stopped to watch the guys, there was this putting the same dashboard in. There was putting the same fender on. There was this monotony that I could see and every once in a while, somebody would holler at somebody else because the line would have a long space until the next vehicle got there. And I'm watching these trucks. Then I watched the people that were showing us around. So I asked the people who were showing us around, giving us the tour. I said, did you work for Ford? Oh, yeah. And they told me how good Ford was to them. I said, tell me about life on the line. And immediately, everyone talked about the monotony and the boringness. It was a job. I said, do you enjoy what you... Oh, then their faces would light up, and they would tell you Ford history and how much they enjoyed their jobs. I've thought about that a lot. I've thought about that because I've been with many of you to auto plants around here. And I realized the docents, our tour guides, our hosts... They were doing what they loved to do. They were passionate about the Ford Motor Company. But the job of doing the same thing every day over and over again had been a grind upon them. And I think that explains the difference between why someone like Bob and Phyllis, 81 years old, still serving as missionaries in the Bahamas, standing on the washers and dryers with water up to here for two hours. I think that begins to explain why they don't retire. They can retire, but they love the people of Abaco. They spent their lives since they were in their early 30s working with the people of Abaco. They've given over 50 years, <coughs> excuse me, working with the people of Abaco because they found their passion in life. And it doesn't get monotonous or it doesn't get boring because God's unique call to them was to serve the Bahamian people and the Haitian people who came to Abaco. And friends, every one of us in here are different, and every one of us in here <coughs> are unique. There are some of you, there are things that you love that other people don't love or have a passion for. There are some of you in here, there are things that just make your little boy jump up and down inside that for others of us, we would just yawn. 
but it's because God made every one of us different. We have different heartbeats. We have different thumbprints. We have different breathing patterns. Everything about us is different. Every one of us in this room is unique because God is a uniquely creative God. But God created you with those passions, and God wants you to serve him with those passions. When I was a little boy, I've told you before of how I shocked my mom and dad. I really made my mom cry. I didn't mean to. I felt so bad afterwards that for a long time I would never talk to her about it again. But I told them just over the table, I don't want to go to heaven when I die. My parents just looked and they go, why? I go, I don't want to be a naked baby sitting on a cloud playing a harp for the rest of my life. It's embarrassing. It looked boring to me. My mother always described my grandmother as an angel. My grandmother was as wide as she was tall. She was sweet. She was old. She was soft. I didn't want heaven if that's what heaven was. It was better on the farm. I mean, it's fun watching pigs root in the mud. It's fun watching chickens. It's fun watching cows. It's fun riding with your daddy on a tractor. But heaven? Uh-uh. I got news for you. Heaven is much different than you and I could ever dream or imagine. And when we get to heaven, we're not just going to sit around without any clothes on. Thank God. And those of us who aren't like Pastor Mark or Becky, we're not going to be playing musical instruments. I think I've got something exciting to do in heaven. What's next, Papa? It rings in my spirit all the time. What's next? Because heaven will not be a monotonous place. Look at this passage of Scripture with me from Psalms 139. Certainly you made my mind and my heart or your soul. Certainly you made my mind and my heart and you wove me together in my mother's womb. Look at Ephesians 2.10. In Christ Jesus, God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to, do, to live our lives doing. Now, I want to put these two verses together. Look at this. God made us to do. In the Greek, there is a sense of, it, of continuous action. It never stops. What you're doing now, that that you're passionate about, that that you're doing now, God's given you a passion, and the sense of that word means it's what you're supposed to do for the rest of your life. It's what you love. It's what makes your little boy, your little girl get all excited and jump up and down. But look at this, and he planned in advance for us to live our lives doing the way God has shaped us, God has given you a passion that we wouldn't realize upon this earth, but we will fully realize when we get to heaven. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? <laughs> we will serve God in heaven. We will grow in heaven. We will see God in heaven. Though we can't see him now, we will see him in heaven. And there we will serve. And so that's why practice makes perfect. That's why the praise team is always coming in, and sometimes when you're in bed, they're in here practicing and rehearsing. It's why in Georgia football, they're practicing and rehearsing. It's why the Lions need to practice and rehearse. 
I mean, I know we haven't lost a game yet, but we need to practice. Go Lions. <laughs> you see, that's what this life is about. The good news is you're getting a taste of heaven today when you love people, when you participate fully in the body of Christ, when you are practicing by serving God in how you have been shaped. And that's why I think the most important thing you can do in your life is to use or to take up your life mission of sharing the good news of Jesus Christ because God has given every one of us a life mission. Your story matters. Your story is important. In Acts chapter 20, the apostle said, the most important thing is that I complete my mission. The work the Lord Jesus gave me to tell people the good news about God's grace. And every one of us in this room, every one of us in this room, part of our life's mission is to share the good news of God's grace. So I could say to that family, Look at me. God loves you. Come back home to Christ. Come back home to God. You know the stories of the Bible. They looked at me, but my children don't know the stories of the Bible. Now's the time. The devil will continue to give you reasons. You think those reasons are just coming out of your guilty conscience? Uh-uh. Just as surely there is a God, there is a defeated devil that whines in your ear and gives you all kinds of reasons that you should feel guilty and why it's hypocritical. Come back home to Christ. Let your children discover what you discovered long ago. And if you're a Christian this morning, then decide today, your story matters. Your story is important. Your story of happiness, your story of success, your story of failures, your story of pain. Your story of how God met you when you were at your lowest and how God met you at your highest. Your story of maybe when everything was going good and you forgot God and you fell, but then God picked you up. Your story will resonate with other people in ways that my story will never resonate because it's your story. God has been shaping and guiding your path all along. You make plans for retirement. You make plans for your career. You make plans for marriage. You make plans for your children. You make plans all the time. As a matter of fact, the Bible has something to say to you about that in Proverbs 19, verse 21. You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Let's read that out loud together, would you, this morning? You can make many plans, but the Lord's purpose will prevail. Would you say that one more time? You can make many plans. Stop. So, stop. Stop. <laughs> You're that relative. You can make many plans. You can. You should. You should make plans. But read the rest of this verse. But the Lord's purpose will prevail. Now here's my question. Whose master plan 
are you following? Whose master plan are you building your life upon? Whose master plan are you building your marriage upon? Whose master plan are you raising your children with? Whose master plan are you planning for that day when you close your eyes and you know without a shadow of a doubt that when you open them, you're going to see Jesus and he's going to say, welcome home. You know because death has lost its sting and the grave has lost its victory. Scott and Ruth came to Christ in life as young adults. Scott and Ruth that you saw just before I walked up here this morning, Scott went to work in the insurance business, then became a CPA, promising career, and the more that Scott and Ruth began to grow in grace, they felt God had a different plan for their lives. Scott and Ruth began to volunteer and serve at their church, not really having been discipled yet, but they just wanted to serve God. They knew there was more than just going to church. They wanted to know their church family. They became members of a small group. He began to volunteer and go on missions trips. Scott eventually left his career. And I see this happening more and more. And he answered God's call to missions. And this past week, they arrived in one of the most terrorist-stricken nations in the world, in a nation with more mosques than we have churches in the United States. Scott's been a longtime friend. He supported Christopher monthly while Christopher was working in Nepal and Africa and Central America. I said, Scott, how did you come to this decision? He said, I enjoyed making money. I enjoyed making money for other people. But he said, one day Ruth and I realized that the things we were doing wouldn't last. But he said, that little saying, what you do for Christ will last forever. He said, God began to use that to open our hearts. I don't know what God has for your future, but I do know God's purpose will prevail in your life. I do know the gates of hell will not prevail against you. I do know that through Christ, you will prevail against the gates of hell. I do know the gates of hell will not defeat you because gates can't move. They're fixed. But I do know they will give way to your prayers, to your faith in God. Don't you give up on God's master plan. Make plans, but don't you give up on God's master plan for your life because God has called you to be more than an overcomer. And if this summer... If this summer what happens with a lot of people, you've been so busy traveling and trying to rest and get away from it all, you found that you've drifted away from God, then come back home to him. Ask him to forgive you. Plunge fully into living this life of faith for Christ.
And if you're here this morning and you've never given your life to Jesus, I hope the Holy Spirit has helped you to understand what I've come to understand. That when I look in my heart, I find nothing but confusion and darkness. But when I look at the cross, I find God's master plan for me in Jesus Christ. And he washes away all of my sins and gives me a life that is filled with love and joy and peace and grace. It's called being born again. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you this morning that you delight in every one of us that are here. I thank you, Lord. There's nothing that can separate us from your love. Whether we have been good or bad is not the question. The question is, will we trust in Jesus Christ? So I pray this morning that for those who have drifted and for those who just need to come back home to God today, would you draw them to yourself right now? Pastor, how will I know if God's answering that prayer? Because there's something in you right now that's exactly what you want to do. You say, I'm not sure how to do that. Well, you do that in prayer. If you'll let me help you, I'd like you to pray this prayer with me. You can pray it quietly, but do pray it sincerely or maybe use your own words. Pray like this. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you that before you ever created the world that you chose to focus your love upon me. Thank you before you ever created this world that you chose to save me through the life of Jesus Christ. I don't understand it all. But I confess my sins to you. And I ask you to cleanse me and make me a brand new person. Help me to discover what it means to have a family in Christ. Help me to discover what my passion is in life and to serve you with all of my heart. And then finally, as I grow, help me to learn how to share with my family, with my friends, what you have done for me. So as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. I don't always do this, but today, I just think I should. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed, but if you prayed that prayer, either of recommitment or giving your life to Jesus, would you let me know that just by lifting up your hand and saying, I'm making that decision. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you and you and you and you and you, sir. 
Yes, ma'am, and you. Hallelujah. Your heads are still bowed. Remember this. God is good. Don't let the devil beat you up. God is good. The devil is defeated and he knows it. And he loves you so much. Church, I know we've done this a lot just to thank him, but can we praise God right now for those who've either committed or recommitted their lives to Christ this morning? They're drawing close to him. Can we just celebrate that right now? Hallelujah. 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 Well, would you stand with me? Pastor Rick's going to come in just a moment, but I want to pray a prayer of blessing over you before... Pastor Rick dismisses you today. Your word says that, Lord, you are good. The word says to us that you inhabit the praises of your people. So I pray that as a congregation, that wherever we go, whatever we do this week, we will follow your master plan. And we will declare your praises in all that we do. I pray that heaven and earth will join us as we praise and worship you. And I pray that our lives will be salty to some to make them thirsty for Christ. And I pray that our lives will be light to others who need hope. And that when the end of this new week comes, if we gather again to worship you, the Father, great will be the praise that we bring into this house to celebrate your great name. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you.